Welcome back to Pathways with the New England Free Jacks. Today, I'm joined by two wise men of the East Coast Conference, uh, Stephen Lewis and Andrew Douglas. Uh, Stephen uh, is a, or Steve rather, mate, is a two-time USA Rugby Coach of the Year. Uh, He's been involved with Jamaica Sevens, Old Blue, New York, RFC, Army West Point Women's, uh, Collegiate All-American Sevens, and as a USA Rugby Congressperson, as well as, I believe, currently Rooney's acting GM. Is that right, Stevie? Yeah, most of it, yeah. And, and then we've got Andrew, uh, who's been head coach in New Zealand schools, assistant coach at Waikato, uh, consultant with the Chiefs, um, head coach for Biella uh, Rugby Club in Italy, attacking backs coach for the Toyota Shuttles, and now All Glory DC head coach. So, gentlemen, thanks for jumping on. Obviously, we've got Andrew from lockdown uh, in New Zealand, and Steve just back from his little... Uh, escapade and and Mexico, mate. Guilty as charged. <laughs> How are we You're doing, Steve? Did you recruit any players from Mexico? Uh, I'm very familiar with the Mexican sevens programs, but no, that was not the purpose of my trip on this occasion. <laughs> Good stuff. So, yeah, gentlemen, off season. It's been a long one. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that process. Obviously, you probably had a, a review period for your teams. Uh, there have been some some turnover in terms of your your roster. Tell us about that sort of period, how that went, how long that took before you got your 2021 roster, if it is finished, sort of there, thereabouts. Maybe Andy, if you want to start, mate. Yeah, so obviously disappointing to, to see the, the season ended as it was, but, but very understandable um, in the same breath. So after that, we sort of did a, an internal review of where we were, Tom, with with a number of things. And, and being a new team, um, we, we obviously made mistakes in that first, that first year and, and there's things we wanted to do better. And we're pretty honest about those. So um, we've gone about, we've looked for new facilities for training and for playing. Um, we've changed our roster a bit. We've tried to keep um, the, the main core of our roster. We're really happy with the culture we had, with the players we had. Um, but we needed to strengthen up in certain areas. And obviously set piece was a big one for us. It was pretty obvious our scrum wasn't good enough in MLR and it was hard to launch. And I think we considered the most penalties of any team, but basically those were, were mainly scrum penalties. So there were areas we had to fix up in order to be competitive. Because I think that the, the league's only getting better. The rosters are only getting stronger. And I think if you stay with your status quo, you're basically going backwards. So we kind of realized that and we've, we've tried to thicken up our pack, basically, just get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. Um, I, hope, I hope we've done that. I think we've done that. But at the same time, we still want to play that same way we play. You know, we want to play with speed, with width. We want to play on game line and keep attacking teams. So I was finding that balance of being able to do that, Tom. So we've been pretty busy in that regard. Um, as John Manson, our operations manager, who, who came over from the Scottish Rugby Union and myself have been um, basically doing that. We had to let go some front office staff because of financial times with COVID and things like that. So John and I have done that. And our roster is basically done now. We've possibly got room for one more. I'm still sort of hedging my bets a little bit on that one. But um, yeah, I think I think we've done done pretty well in that off-season time. And I've actually enjoyed it. You know, I've been coaching, you know, on full-time for a long time. So that little refresher and break to reflect on where you are, it has been pretty good, really. Yeah, I guess kind of like ourselves, last year you had a full team to recruit, whereas this year, you know, just to be able to tweak it and make, you know, a few little changes must have been sort of a little bit easier for you in terms of that process. Yeah, did right. I mean... Most of the players I knew, I did a lot of homework on every player we had, but until you actually get them in your camp and you watch them play, you never you never know everything, if that makes sense, and you still don't, really don't. I mean, every one of our players was a great man. They're good men, um, really bought into the culture of things, but at the end of the day, you're always trying to get better, and so we had to make some hard choices, some tough choices, and to release some players who I've got a lot of time for and, and still respect greatly, but 
this is a business and so you've got to make business decisions at some stage. So it sounds a bit harsh, but that's the reality of it. For sure. Yeah. And then Steve, mate, you have a very good understanding of the domestic uh, player outlook and, and what rugby looks like in this country. So kind of to that sentiment, uh, Rooney brought you on at a point throughout this year that I'm not quite sure when that was, I believe. But um, tell us about your involvement with Rooney and sort of how that uh, process has gone with the recruitment. Obviously, you've been involved in that as well as the grassroots and community initiatives. Yeah, so um, interesting for our team last year was was really a team that the coaches inherited, right? Greg McWilliams, Marty Veal, they kind of inherited those players. So but we did the same thing. Obviously, you, you did a pretty comprehensive evaluation of even the abridged season, and we wanted to make some changes, and we wanted to make some upgrades. So both Greg's very good um, connections in Ireland, Marty across New Zealand, Japan, and so we, we, had a, we felt we had a good grasp and good connections, and we wanted to retool it. So we, we started, we, we kept... Uh, the core, the American core of the team, the guys like Fawcett, Hanko, Brakely, the guys we wanted to retain, and then we looked to upgrade around that. So it was basically done by about June, July, you know, and then with just a couple of little slots to fill in still. So that, that's the frustrating part. You, you put this team together, you're excited about it, and you see some of the signings in other places, um, and there's definitely going to be an uptick in quality just looking at these rosters. But it's just a case of frustration. We want to get on with it, you know, and, uh, and play. That, that was our process, and uh, coaches had a great deal of input into it. Um, and so it will be a different team, essentially their team. So they'll have to win. <laughs> it was kind of an interesting thing, wasn't it, that a phenomena, I guess, that, you know, a lot of us sort of had our rosters sort of sorted by, you know, July, August, and then you've got a massive six-month period until the season, you know, begins. And you've got t- some teams that sort of went and like knocked it all out early and got that all out there and sort of began to build momentum, whereas you've got LA now just sort of getting started. So that was sort of interesting to see unfold, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and also, you know, still some implications to come, right? Uh, some of the tournaments finishing in, you know, Mitre 10 and what have you, and potentially injuries and then potentially people visa issues. So, I mean, th- th- there's going to be a little fluidity for all of the teams. You know, the best laid plans are mice and men. We're, we're going to miss a couple here and there. So it's, it's not totally done, but mostly done, yeah. For sure. Nice. And uh, obviously kind of the purpose of this call is to discuss the uh, academy systems and the silver lining of our abbreviated system was sort of that we got more time to take a step back and have a look at our regions. I know for yourself and, and myself, Andrew, um, our appreciation of the landscape was probably um, not quite as great or in-depth as Steve's. Um, but we got a, an opportunity to sort of look at rugby at a grassroots level with the, you know, the high school collegiate system, the club system, and work out how we can best assist those areas. If you guys want to go ahead and tell us, we've all sort of had a slightly different approach with kind of the same end goal, I think, in mind with what we're trying to do with our, let's call it an academy system or grassroots initiatives, community initiatives. Tell us a bit about what you've been doing kind of over full summer, um, Andrew and, and Steve, and uh, your areas. Yeah, so our regions, it's a, it's a little bit strange in terms of that we've actually got some very good high school teams, um, especially within DC. You know, Gonzaga have been you know competitive nationally for, for a while now and teams like St. John's are, are quite strong, Georgetown Prep. But then most of those kids go away to college or leave our region and, and our club our club competition, and I'm probably going to insult somebody here, but it's, it's pretty weak, to be honest, the, the club competition in our area. I mean, Steve's probably got a pretty strong competition up where he has a new um the blues are obviously a strong team and you've got the mystics in new england but we haven't really got a team like that uh in our area so 
there's a number of, of reasons I think for that. One is coaching, um, the, the availability of, of good coaches and good people to drive those programs. And, and two, the athletes themselves are still basically a number of them in a mindset of I'll train Tuesday, Thursday, have a jog around and then I'll play Saturday and then I'll get drunk Saturday night. And I think we're trying to change that mindset a little bit with a number of the players um, just to, to be a bit more professional in their approach to it. So we're starting at, at an under under 18 level, a high school level with boys and girls, Tom, and we're, we're trying to not just upgrade them skill-wise, but in terms of how to approach rugby to make them the best players they can be. We still want them to have fun and enjoy the, the spirit of rugby. I think that's really, really important. But we're just trying to progress them as an athlete, as a person, and and on the school school side of rugby. So we've started um, sessions at Segra Field where we're going to be playing our games. We do that once a week. Um, we were, before COVID, shut us down again just in the last week. Uh, going to run nutritional um, programs. We've got S&C programs running. We we're going to do mental uh, strength and mental skills types programs with them. And, and we still intend to do that come January. And then we're looking at a middle tier as well, what we're calling Young Glory, which is those people who have just finished college or young people who really now see a, a way for rugby to, to give them a, a career path, so to speak, or a bit more drive towards rugby. Um, so they might not be necessarily the best players in our region right now, but we believe they have potential to play MLR rugby. And so basically it's round about a number 23. We're not going to put an age on it. It'll be a younger group who we think can, can possibly prosper through to MLR. And we'll put focus on that as well. Um, so that's been our drive. Our big drive has just been that under-18 program. We, we have a, a junior program as well. We try and reach five, 600 kids if we can, and we've had a great buy into that with our, our area, and, and um, Tim Brown runs that Pathways-type program, and that's about getting kids involved in our sport, getting it fun and, and getting exposure. Our high school one was sort of starting to taper a little bit more, if you can imagine, a pyramid-type setup, and um, we've involved 50 kids, boy, you know, that's total, um, over 50 kids now. We had 110 come to the first combine. We had 100, we had to close it off because of, of COVID numbers, but we had 140 in total wanting to be part of that program. So that excited me a lot. We'll run another one in January, hopefully, um, COVID willing. And um, then we'll move into that young glory type stage of, of building up that next tier of hopeful potential MLR players, Tom. So I've really enjoyed the process, actually. We had to start it from scratch, which is – and when it's yours, you kind of own it a lot more when you've got to design it and build it. And yeah, I'm still getting to know the landscape, Tom, to be honest. I wouldn't say I'm all over it just yet. There's a lot of learning there for myself and John and and members of Old Glory. So there's also been politics involved with clubs. I don't know what it's like in New York and New England, but being neutral, I think, has helped me. I don't, I'm not associated with anybody or anything in particular. And so I've been able to take all that out of it and not involve personalities, but what's best, I think, for rugby. And so hopefully, hopefully, touch wood, that will show benefits later on. Man, well done. It looks very good. Like, I mean, the content's been phenomenal. The the girls' stuff's been really good to see. Like, it looks looks very good in Segrafield. I know both Steve and I will be very jealous of you guys having such a fantastic uh, facility down there. That's uh, yeah. Look, we've been we've been lucky. DC United have been fantastic partners for us, Tom. Um, and it's a great field and and um, the perfect size for MLR. Five thousand people. A great VIP area. Um, but on the girls, it was funny. The first combine, we had only eight turn up. And I said to them, look, we're going to continue this no matter what. We've got eight of you. We're going to start it. I said, but if you know there's other girls out there who have potential to be really good athletes and play really good rugby, let them know. The next week we had 30. And the girls were saying that they were scared they were going to be the only one to show up to this group. And as soon as we sort of let them know it's a safe, enjoyable environment, the numbers just flooded in. So we were really excited about that, Tom. 
That's great. And like Steve, you can sort of probably attest to this, mate, but I, I believe there are 21 varsity women's programs around the States currently. And there've been another couple pop up in the New England region. So it's definitely a vehicle into the, into college and into the collegiate game for girls in particular. So that's been an area I know specifically up in New England. We've been trying to, we see our, our position as a good uh, role to having knowing, you know, knowing a lot of those coaches, we can help those girls in that transition into the college game and um, hopefully develop their skills. So they're in a position to get into those schools. Um, and Stevie, mate, you've been a man on a mission uh, down in, in New York uh, and uh, even further, mate, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing over the you know past few months. Obviously, you understand the landscape slightly different to ourselves, although we are learning. Um, yeah, talk to us. Oh, the interesting thing, I've been to all parts of New Jersey and Connecticut I never knew existed. So, <laughs> you know, we had a pretty comprehensive plan to re-engage with the community, right, both at clubs, colleges, and high schools, and that got knocked on the head So this fall. So basically, we just took the we just took the the view that we would make ourselves available to anyone and everyone, and we'll come out there anytime free of charge. So um, we did, and actually, I, I enjoyed it. I got to places and met, connected with mostly high school stuff, people that I, I never met. So it was a success on that that front. I think we had about twenty one, twenty two different places. Um, so that was good, and it was all we could do um, going forward. We're very conscious that. Um, we see a series of partnerships. So obviously we're working with Rugby New Jersey, Rugby New York, and Rugby Connecticut, as are you. Those are the three main youth groups. So we want to we, we be complementary, not competitive. So we're always conscious of what they're doing, and we want to just uh, um, help them, complement them, rather than anything else. So with them, and also with an organization called Play Rugby USA, which is in the city, in, in New York City, there's a lot of great work um, in sort of socioeconomically challenged areas. So those are our kind of youth partnerships. Um, our involvement there is we're going to sponsor the high school state championships. We're going to sponsor all-star teams. And from that, we'll create a really under-18 team. So to us, it's about getting coaching uh, skill in there, not um, trying to run their show, and then just trying to offer them something at the end. When we flip to the... The academy, what we consider the academy, is really what I consider MLR potential players. So just as uh, Andrew has mentioned, we see that as roughly 18 to 23, um, post-high school to 22-23. Similar sort of age group, similar sort of concept as All Glory. Um, once again, we, we feel that it should be targeted towards June and July. We, we don't want to mess with colleges. We don't want to mess with players' existing affiliations and loyalties. So we feel that we, these are things we tack on and we have a short, sharp season, four, six, eight games sort of after the end of college season. That, that's that's um, our philosophy around it. Uh, slightly different in different places, but um, we're very conscious of not stepping on toes. We want to work with all blue AC white planes. Uh, we want to work with the Empire Union. We want to work with the existing youth communities and we want to work with existing colleges. Fantastic. I guess that's sort of uh, the mutual zone for all of us is that we all agree that, you know, we're here to be complimentary and additive, not, you know, something that's going to take away from, you know, obviously our organisations. We're not a club, we're not a college, and we're not a high school, we're none of those things, and we don't intend to have competition uh, that conflicts with any of those schedules. So, like you say, it probably leads quite well into the next point. What do you anticipate at those age group levels and at sort of your U23, uh, for us, the independence levels, that competition structure will look like moving forward in an ideal world? 
I think Steve's, you know, he's nailed it. He's, he's dead right. We don't we don't want to get into competition with high schools, and so I think that junior low window is is the best one. I, I totally agree um, there, and I think that's when we'd look to run a competition against for all, for all glory against the likes of New York, New England, Atlanta. Hopefully, hopefully, possibly New Orleans as well. Um, there's probably going to be some debate around how that looks like. Um, I think it'd be great to take the, these young people on the road and play curtain raises to the main MLR game, give them that exposure to understand um, what that's like. I mean, when I was 18, I was lucky enough to play against Scottish schools for Waikato on what was then Rugby Park. And it's, you know, a memory that's lasted me this long. I played against the likes of Dottie Weir in that particular game, and I still remember it. So I understand those moments, you know, can be life-changing for some young people and, and just get them excited about rugby, sticking to them for life. So I think... That would be my preferred model is that we take these people on the road with their MLR sides and play as a curtain raiser. Now, I know there's cost to that. I understand that. Um, there's talk of a tournament, which I think is a viable option as well. Um, and I think, you know, Steve and myself, you, Tom, and, and Atlanta and New Orleans will probably debate this and, and hopefully find the best way forward for rugby. Whatever way we go about it, as, as long as we're providing a clear structure for these kids, and I think they do need competition. Um, I think academies are wonderful things, but I think at some stage you've got to try and reveal the true athlete, the true rugby player, and I think competition is important for that without thrashing them. So um, that would be how I would I would see it. What we'd like to do, which is a change for us in, in DC, is actually run an inner city high school league if we can. I think schools like uh, Gonzaga, St John's, those bigger schools will keep their own competitions, which is fine. But we'd like to to get kids from the inner schools, the the ones the underserved communities involved in rugby, exposed them to rugby. So we'll look at running a league with those high schools and, and we'll put our players in as coaches and try and work with the teachers in those schools. And, um, you know, if we can promote that to, to build on and, and get those kids involved in June, July as part of the academy, that, I think that'd be a, a great thing. Fantastic. How, how do you see that being staffed and managed? Because obviously, you know, uh, the MLR season is relatively labour-intensive from our point of view in managing the senior team. Do you see this as something that towards the end of the spring high school season, you know, you've, you're talking to high school coaches or you've got players or coaches that you value talking to high school coaches. And then from that point, maybe you're allocating players with those teams, doing some training sessions, working into that competition window. How do you see that looking? Yeah, it's probably the, the, one of the toughest things, Tom, is, is getting good people or the right people, I should say, probably in those places um, our players are keen to help and coach and obviously you've got to balance their program because it's you know they've got a full-time job already um, and we've got some good support networks around now we're sort of just picking people that we can help to use and support those players um, it'd be nice to grow the coaching the coaching depth in our area um, and I see that as a pretty important role if we want to grow rugby in, in DC Virginia Maryland is, is to grow the coaching base in our zone so We've started to do that. We've introduced new coaches to our academy, people that I see are enthusiastic and show potential. Um, and that's, you know, people like Brianna Kim, uh, Tongueli, Fanueli have, have come through really, really well. And, and I think we'll put those people, use those types of people through those um, inner city programs as well. Nice. And Steve, what are your, what's your take on that, Matt? Yeah, and so, so we were going to sort of um, progress this year to, to training mornings and early afternoons in order to free up players to be connected with schools. Um, previously, we were sort of guilty in my est- I wasn't involved, but we were in my estimation of showing up, jersey, photograph, bugger off, never to be seen again. Um, so there has to be consistency of contact. So for me, it was about having one player, one program, one season. So you want 
the kids to know that player, the parents to know that player. Um, and that, that's how we wanted to be embedded with these schools rather than just shooting back and forth doing a thing here and there. And being able to train in the mornings would allow us to do that. Um, Andrew hit a, a big nail on the head for me. Something I'm pretty passionate about is coach education and the fact that there has been none in this country for four or five years. Um, so to, to that effect, you know, we, we've got plans to do some coach education seminars uh, beginning of the season. Uh, we're going to allow coach shadowing opportunities throughout the season. We've actually, Greg Williams has been doing a really good one on uh, online every second week with National Collegiate Rugby, which is a big college organization. So I, I personally see that this coach education is a big thing and it, it's vital. And in the absence of a national governing body doing what they're supposed to do, it falls upon us in our area to, to pick up the slack and, and get it done. So I'm, I'm big on that. Nicely done. Yeah, that's sort of it's similar to what we've been doing here. We've, we've sort of um, coined every region within New England a different name uh, and we've got to every region and, and done a, held a tracking day there looking at obviously for the main purpose being to uh, increase participation drastically, hopefully, and then uh, provide developmental opportunities and opportunities for us to identify not only uh players but also coaches so we've uh, been through 400 odd athletes and and uh, as a coaching staff decided whether they're a player of regional interest at this time uh, or not and then uh, same with the coaches and, and pulled together a, a group of 10 to 12 coaches from the region the wider region that we value as being up to uh, learning and and being active in that next level so it's certainly I think Steve an area where USA Rugby can definitely prosper in that we've got now 12 professional outfits in USA, across USA, uh, that can hopefully get embedded at that local level and impart their knowledge and coaching resources and so on, like you you guys have been doing with NCR. Yeah, yeah I think I think it's important. Um, you touched upon a point there. I mean, you, you guys have been tremendous seeing what you're doing. You, you're a busy man, clearly. But um, from my perspective, the the identification of talent, right, you know, when, when they're under 12 and they're under 14, it's just numbers participating and have fun. You know, that, that should be the focus. So we, we, we're not too worked up about IDing talent that young. You know, I think when they progress naturally through their high school into their high school team, 16, 17, 18, that's when you start tracking folk. Um, but I think at the younger ages, it's just get a ball in their hands and let them have fun. Absolutely. Yeah, completely agree with you there, mate. Cool. Um, so I guess another one here is within uh, – actually, no, let's throw it back to – we've just had the jersey release. Let's go a quick take on, on that, on the jersey release. What's your thoughts on the – obviously, you're donning the the, uh, the flag uh, in um, quite a uh, striking nature, uh, Andy. Uh, and then, Steve, you guys have got a, a secondary logo um, that's just been thrown out there. Talk us through the new designs and your take on it. Well, we um, – obviously, we're old glory which is the flag. And uh, last year we were playing blue and white. It looked sharp, but I thought we needed to jazz it up a bit. So um, part of our, part around our, our, our war room, our changing room, we've got um, these posters with that flag across. It's where we put our key points, like our values, how we want to work as a team, et cetera, et cetera. So I said to John Manson, our operations manager, just splash that across our jersey. Let's have a look and see what it looks like. And uh, we had the DC flag on the shorts. We got the sublimated stars down the side as well. So... We've got noticed, put it that way, Tom. I think a lot of people love it. There's the odd person that doesn't like it. That's understandable, you know, but at least it started a conversation. I see um, apparently on social media 
the team back home are telling me. So um, I'm really happy with it personally. I, I like it. I think um, I actually like New York's strip. I think New York's done a great job with their strip as well. I've had a lot of comments about New England, Tom, that people love the traditionalist view of the New England strip. So um, I think um, I, I was a bit worried about the Dallas Jackals. It was more like a chocolate mint to me, but um, – <laughs> You know, I think I think again, it's it's different. It stands out, and and I think that's a good thing. I think conversations around those are a good thing. If it gets people excited about MLR and rugby, that's fantastic, and and I think that's what it's done, which is really really good. Yeah, good stuff. And yeah. Steve, you've got the neighbourhoods on your, on your uh, home jersey, or is it the away? Tell us. Yeah, the, the away one actually, the orange one. So they've got neighbourhoods um, Upper West Side, Battery Park, so it connects to the city that way. And unfortunately, you couldn't see the resolution wasn't sufficient. The home strip, those are what, what are known as Gustavino tiles. So this is a very idiosyncratic New York architectural feature. Ellis Island, Grand Central Station, the, the shape of the tiles. Right. But you couldn't really see it on that reveal, but you, you'll see it when it's fully fleshed out. Um, new logo was really to the, the initial logo we still have. It's on the back. It's retaining it. But it was felt that we needed to, who are we and what do we do? And the, we felt that this secondary logo has the New York, explains New York, and has a rugby ball. So that was the thinking behind it. Um, so we're pretty happy the way it looked. I thought most teams looked good. Um, I had the uh, fortune to have breakfast this morning with a certain Mr. Pengelly, who and I um, berated him for his ridiculous um, sponsorship of you as number one in all things. He's got to remember which city he lives in. But he was a big fan of the New England jersey, as I think. Uh, I'd probably say that would be the, the social media favorite, you guys. So... Hats off to you on that one. Uh, that's Ollie Englehart and, and Alex Magleby's work. But I think last year we we nailed the home jersey and the away jersey was just a bit of an afterthought. Whereas this year they thought, let's put a collar. You know, collar was a, a hat. Let's chuck that on the away one as well and just tidy it up a little bit. So. You, you, you've got to remember that Pengeli is, you know, a, he's a product of a 1980s rugby in Yorkshire, right? So if he likes it, maybe it's not the thing. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Um, and Andy, mate, you are just one thing when I was reading through your press release on the, um, on the academy system you guys have rolled out, you talked about the six pillars of, uh, building out your academy system, sort of per New Zealand rugby union, um, and what they sort of stand by. Talk us through that, mate, because I thought that was quite good and that, you know, what you're trying to get through to these players and that it's not only the technical, tactical aspects. Yeah, for sure. Look, we've basically just stolen that straight from New Zealand rugby. Tommy, that's what I, I was raised as a coach. On those six pillars, so it's comfortable for me. I think it's, it covers aspects that that players need. So, unashamedly, I just I stole it from New Zealand rugby because that's what I worked with when I was working with young young kids from New Zealand schools and the Chiefs development type teams. That's what we push. So, technical tactical is obviously one side of it, the physical side of it, which we want our strength, and conditioning, speed, etc. But I think where we probably miss is um, the mental skills. To, to be a better player and, and certainly when I played I never had anyone tell me about how to prepare for a game um, how to keep myself in that good space and we've all been through that stage as a player where you get yourself in a really good space and you're playing really well and then for some reason a couple of months later you're, you're not playing as well and it's how do you get yourself back into that good space again and how do you prepare for a game and what what's going to muck up your preparation for a game so those sort of traits um, I never as a player had had much no one gave me much insight into that and I wasn't probably smart enough to be able to grab it myself to be honest but I think we've got a lot more knowledge now and so to be able to give these young people all those tools to be the best players they can be 
um, I think I think is vitally important, and it and it just gives it a more holistic approach to making them a better person, Tom. Rather than it all comes down to win or loss, or whether you you do this job or not this job, it's it's you can actually now give them a, a broader spectrum, and, and hopefully they can succeed in many ways. And um, if they're not if they're having a tough time, there's ways to get to to you know to work through and process to get through, and without just having to wing it themselves. Um, so I think that's that's really important for a young person to keep them one in the game, to keep them excited, but to just keep them feeling good about what they're doing in rugby. For sure, I guess turn the MLR. Obviously, you know, the, I think one of the pillars was uh, professional life or something to that effect. Obviously, that's so vital in MLR with the you know a the salary amounts and b uh, the the nature of our, our contractual breakdowns and that we've got a lot of part time players and the professional life and work-life balance is so important or work-rugby balance rather is so important. Um, how do you find yourself managing that? We'll go, Steve, your thoughts on how to best, you know, you talked about um, your day-to-day, um, I guess, structure, daily, um, whatever you want to call it. Tell me about how you sort of manage that, that professional element with your team. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, when, when we're not a fully professional league, right? As you say, we have a mix but we're moving in that direction. So, so we sort of made a fairly conscious decision, probably have a skinnier squad, but more full-time players. Because um, we felt last year, you know, the Tuesday, Thursday, it's like club plus rather than professional. And that was limited because of the amount of guys who were part-time players. Um, it, it, you want them, you need them. There's, there's um, financial aspects to all of this. You can't have everything you want. But we're probably going to have a, a less numbers but more full-time guys to try and uh, get away from that. We've also got some of our part-time guys we've already discussed with, can you be available to train at these given hours in the morning? And so most of it seems to be working out. It's probably only a couple of players that are now unavailable to us because we made that change. So that's kind of how we're managing it. We're trying to go to more full-time guys. Nice. Well done. Uh, and I guess... Um... Uh, a final one here, just um, from a somewhat selfish level, how are you keeping it? Obviously, it's a massive off-season, a massive off-season. A lot of players are playing in the Southern Hemisphere. A lot aren't playing. A lot have been to Bermuda. How are you sort of keeping the cohesiveness of your teams and um, you know building excitement with uh, the 21, 2021 season just around the corner, both of yours? Yeah, so we've been in regular contact with our players. We had a Zoom call with them a couple of weeks ago as the whole squad together just to go through plans for the for the new season. Obviously, um, we've got a few new faces we wanted to introduce to the, to the wider squad. Our strength and conditioning guys have been sending programs. We've actually started working with a couple of guys already in DC, which is, has been good. So, um, like you say, we've got a number of guys got commitments in, in New Zealand and in, uh, the, in Europe. So, we've, we, you know, you've got to be careful about how much you, you, you're putting pressure on them when they've already got their commitments to rugby. Our local guys, we've actually had them down helping us coach with the academy. So we've had the Jack Ascaros, Mike Dabulises, Threaten Palamos, um, Sean Hartigs, Dakota Worse. We've all come along to those academies and helped us out with them, which has been good for them to understand, you know, processes around their game. So, yeah, because they're not getting paid, Tom, so you can't demand too much of them. But I think just showing them some love and, and, and showing them where we're trying to head is, is really, really important to keep them involved and to keep that buy-in. So that's how we've been doing it, sort of passive-aggressive, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, broadly similar. Um, same thing. We've got some guys all over the shop, right? And so we, we have actually started under Ian Jones as our S&C guy. So he's done a uh, – they're already being monitored, some playing, some doing their thing, some in Bermuda. 
So same thing with that. And then Greg McWilliams, Marty Veal, obviously trying to instill the culture. So we have sort of every two weeks, we're starting to have player calls, have different little projects and what have you to do. Because they've got to get to know each other, right? Because um, as I said, it's a newish team. So similar stuff, S&C, uh, different people at different levels. And then you've got to try, just as we are now, trying to sort of um, stay connected and through Zoom is the only way in Zoom we trust. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just, it's just let's, let's get on with it. I'm champing at the bit, you know. I just want COVID to disappear and the season to start. That's where I am. Agreed. I think yeah, the big takeaway there is that the league is getting significantly stronger each year. It was a quality product last year that was out on the field. So let's hope that we can get more than five games in, in the 2021 season and, and get a full a full bang out there, get the proper show going. So last bit we do, guys, is just a quick fire week to week. We typically typically go your favourite Fred Jack and why, but we'll extend it to favourite MLR player and why just for the first of the two quick uh, quick fire questions to wrap it up. When you're ready, feel free to go. I'll go Api Nikatini. Um, he's already won two MLR championships, and uh, he just he just brings a little bit of X factor. You know, he can offload, he can cut guys in half defensively. Um, he enjoys a pineapple lump, so being a Kiwi, that's always a big a big plus, Tom. Um, but he's also he's that player in our squad that just gives everyone confidence around him. And um, I was chuffed that Seattle were prepared to release him because I, I there's no way I'd, I'd, I'd let him go at that stage of his career because he just gives our squad, so much confidence. They call him mana, which, as you know, Tom, back home means strength, means, uh, you know, the, the warrior's got mana, he's proud. So uh, that's the nickname he, he's tagged on already. So, um, yeah, he's my favourite player in the MLR right, right now. Good stuff. He had, he was donning the uh, old glory uh, headgear too, I see, at Bermuda. How good. Yeah, yeah. Good to see. How good was that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to go – I'm not going to pick a New York player because otherwise I'll get accused of – playing favourites. So I'm going to go for uh, best character I've ever coached, Nate Augsburger, San Diego scrum half. Just the best work ethic out there. He's been dealt multiple blows, dropped, injured, bounces back, works hard, great kid. Love him. Yeah, completely agree with that. He's a, a legend, very hard worker. Uh, and the final one, gentlemen, uh, and Steve, you can't <laughs> – what was that, mate? Who are you picking? You've got to pick somebody. Oh, you've got a couple of good ones down your way. And, um, and uh, you know, Butcher, hard case. You can't beat Butcher. And uh, Brakely is obviously phenomenal. What he brings to Rooney, like to have those two as your backbones, just outstanding. Um, I like a bit of the firepower that Old Glory have with Jace Robertson's doing a good job there. Danny Tusatala, Um couple of good additions down that way but I would have to go from our end um I would have to go Bodine Walker uh, I will go Bodine Walker he's starting for Waikato at the moment doing a good job over there and he's just uh he, he's the uh the chief of our team he looks after the uh disciplinary section of the team so he's doing a good job for us up in New England all right he's having a great Mike Cup season isn't he he's having a well of a season for Waikato right now Oh yeah, yeah, he's, he's going really well, which is, is great to see. There's a good a good number of MLR players doing really well in the Madison Cup, isn't there? So pairs pairs nicely. Well, it's good to see. The final one is uh, a stadium song for our Free Jacks playlist. When you guys come up to play us, now Steve, you can't pick that song that's uh, been <laughs> humming around in my head with the every player announcement that built for New York song. Every yeah. time I see that, I send uh, Greg a wee video of myself dancing to it, mate. But 
I'm going to block that one out. I don't know. You probably all blue eyes, right, Frank Sinatra? Start spreading the news. Good stuff. I'd have to go glory, glory, hallelujah. Good stuff. All good. Well done. Well, gentlemen, thanks very much for jumping on. You're both good men. I look forward to seeing you in the near future, both with the you know senior teams and otherwise with the academy system. So keep up the good work, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Cheers.